Good morning. Good morning. All right. Last day of the Olympics. We get to sleep again. All right. Yes, he loves us. God loves us very, very much. And one expression of that love is God's unbelievable generosity to us. I don't know if, if you think about that much, just how much God pours out his love in us and over us by, by being so unbelievably generous. When I think about his generosity and how he loves me, for me personally, the first thing I think about is creation. Just the, the almost wasteful beauty of the world out there. The, the things that God has created, the, the universe is a great example of that. I mean, it's so vast, we can't even possibly comprehend it, know all the stars out there, and yet God put it out there for a reason, in abundance, for us to enjoy, to, to look at a clear sky at night and enjoy the stars. And I think about just the beauty of this earth and the variety of beauty that he's created, the variety of species and, and colors, and then, and then the beauty that's so deeply hidden in the, in the depth of the ocean that only now our generation can actually enjoy because we have the technology to go there and, and see it. It's, it almost seems wasted, and it's there for us to enjoy. Maybe for sure an even greater outpouring of his generosity and love is, is the giving of his only son, of him giving his life for you and for me. And then in a very tangible way, especially us here in this culture, in the Western Hemisphere, God has blessed us and been extremely generous with us in the way he's blessed us with wealth. We're extremely wealthy here in the Western world. Now, you might sit here and not feel wealthy, and I get that. I often don't feel wealthy. But here's some statistics. If you earn $40,000 a year, you're in the top 5% of this planet. If you earn $50,000 or more a year, you're in the top 1% of this planet. I just listened to a message this week by Andy Stanley, a pastor in Atlanta, and he talked on this issue of, of money. And he said, you know, in our culture, even our cars have houses. Who has a garage here? <laughs> our cars have houses, which is more than a lot of the rest of the world can say. And then, if you're like me, you accumulate so much stuff that the stuff pushes the car out of the garage. And then Andy Stanley said, and then you have to have this awkward conversation with your car saying, hey, listen, but i got to take over the garage. You're going to have to live in the driveway from now on. You know what? That's a wealthy society's problem, isn't it? We're wealthy. God has blessed us beyond reason. And yet... Like many of you, I often don't feel wealthy. Do you know why that is? I think we often don't feel wealthy in the midst of wealth because we're so focused on what we don't have yet. We're so focused on what we don't have yet instead of being thankful for what we do have. Let me just tell you, we are wealthy. Even if you have little by this society's standards, you have much more than most of the rest of the world. We're wealthy, but this morning is not about celebrating our wealth. 
this morning is, is about looking at what are we supposed to do with that wealth? What's the responsibility that comes with that? And what does God's word have to say about how we should handle our possessions, our belongings, and specifically, how should we handle our money? What's our responsibility in handling our money? And as I said two weeks ago with the message on marriage, please, uh, the doors are locked. Stay for the remainder of this message. Yes, we will talk about money this morning as part of our seven-week series um, Seven, again, the number of completion in the Bible. And we want to talk in these seven weeks about seven issues that, that represent our complete life. And boy, is money a part of your life? It's a part of my life. It's a part of all of our lives. And in fact, at K2, we haven't taught much on money. We haven't, out of sensitivity. We don't want to give the impression that we're all about money. And we're not. But you know what? We felt really convicted that we haven't talked about it enough. And there are several reasons for that. The first one I've already mentioned, it affects all of us. All of us deal with financial issue on a daily basis. It's probably our main concern a lot of the time. So why wouldn't we talk about it? The second one is it's, it's the cause of most conflicts. It's the cause of most conflict. It's financial in nature, whether that is with a friend whom you've lent money to, whether that is in a, in a business uh, partnership, whether that's in marriage. Most conflicts in marriage have to do with finances. And then lastly, the most important point of, of our conviction of having to talk about money is that the Bible talks about money all the time. Besides the topic of love, it's the most addressed issue in all of Scripture. I want to give you a few statistics that speak to that. Jesus, in, in the Gospels, where Jesus' life is recorded, a lot of his parables are recorded. Parables were stories that he made up to illustrate certain things. He was a great storyteller. Out of the 38 parables that are recorded in the Gospels, 16 have to do with finances. Almost half of them have to do with finances. 15% of all of Jesus' recorded teachings in the Bible address finances. In all of Scripture, we find 126 principles of how to handle money. 2,350 verses in the Bible deal with finances. And in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who record the life of Jesus, one out of six verses address finances. So why wouldn't we? And we will this morning. So obviously, finances are important. We know that from our life, looking at Scripture, we realize finances are important to God. And how we handle them is important to God. And that's why he gives us guidelines on how to handle the money that we have. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. What does God have to say about how we deal with our money and how we handle our resources? Well, let's pray before we dive into that. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you, Lord, for your tremendous generosity on us. I don't know how we deserve that, how we deserve this in the Western world, especially the, the incredible wealth that we are blessed with. I thank you for having this building. I, I thank you for heating in here, for the technology that we get to use here. Lord, thank you for the blessings you've given us. 
Lord, thank you for the money that you give us, that you bless us with. And Lord, we, we want to live lives surrendered to you. We want to live lives of obedience to you. And Lord, we want to learn this morning of, of what that means specifically when it comes to, to our money. The thing that's often most, most dear to us. So I just pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts from your word and that we would be willing to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. And I want to read with you a passage in 2 Corinthians that we're going to start out with. And uh, it's in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. We'll have it on the screen for you also. It says, starting in verse 6, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever." Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, man will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. We're going to dive into this in a little more detail in specific verses. But what I want to talk about and draw out of this passage are three principles of giving that, that are outlined in this passage. And the first one, I think, is fairly obvious. There's a certain word that, that kept coming up in these verses, and that's the v- word generous or generosity. God clearly calls us in the New Testament to be generous people. You know, when it comes to giving, we often, we're familiar with the term of tithing, right? Who's familiar with the word tithing, to give your tenth? Um, What's really interesting is that we don't find that anywhere in the New Testament. There isn't one verse in the New Testament that tells us to give our tenth or to tithe. Deep breaths of relief in here? Not so fast. Because There is a transition that took place from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And I want to read a verse with you from the Old Testament from Malachi chapter 3. Let me quickly get there. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, verse 10, says the following about the principle of tithing. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. 
So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food. And then the result is, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. So here we find this Old Testament principle of tithing. It was an expectation of the people of God in the Old Testament that they would bring 10% of, of what they had, what they earned, what they, what they harvested, and bring it to God, bring it to the temple, to the place of worship. It was called often the first fruits in the Old Testament. It was supposed to be the first and the best, the top priority, the top of everything, the top 10% went to the temple, went back to God. So we don't find that command in the New Testament, which does not mean it's done away with. But what we see here is in the New Testament that the standard has been raised. The standard has been raised from a legalistic checkpoint mentality. Yes, I've done the 10%. I'm done with that. To a mindset of the heart that gives generously back to God. It's really a transition from that checklist mentality to complete surrender to God. It's not, God, what, what, what do I need to give to you? Now the question is, God, what, how much can I possibly give? It's not, how much do I get to keep? But God, how generous can I be? See, the Old Testament principle of, of tithing can, can lead and often leads to, and in my life led to this, white-knuckled grip to those 90%. So these 10% have been given. I'm done with it, but these 90 are mine. And I'm holding on to those as hard as I can. But you see, generous givers don't ask how much they get to keep. But how generous can I possibly be? And I will tell you, to me, that's a lot more challenging than tithing. We adopted this last year. And so we're expecting a generous tax refund. And I just found out how much that's going to be. You know what my first thought was? Well, I don't have to tithe on that. I've already tithed in the first place before they took the taxes. I don't, that's mine. See, that was my first thought. And then I was thinking, gee, Christian, it isn't about that. It isn't about that tithe. It's, God, you're giving this back to me. You're blessing me back beyond reason. And I want to have this in my opening and say, God, how generous can I be with what you're giving back to me? And I'm telling you this just that you know this is a challenge for all of us. But it's a challenge that God places before all of us and one that we have to face. And you know, as long as we don't develop that mindset of, God, how generous can I be? We will always value money more than we do God. We will always have this white-knuckled grip on our possessions that will hold us bondage. And the bondage that will not be released until we are willing to open our hands and say, God, you placed it here and live open-handedly. And that's why this message this morning is called Completely Open-Handed. And I want to give you an illustration of that. And I need two volunteers here quickly. Um, What about you? Come on, Darren. I need you up here real quick. Anybody else? Brad, you up for it? I need you here real quick. All right, let's bring this over here. All right, this is perfect. So I want to I illustrate this, this white-knuckle grip and hold on to things. Why don't you give each of them a, and take the lid off? I love gums. Do you? Gumballs? I love gumballs. So I'm, I'm just grabbing a few here. 
So this is, this is what we're talking about. So this is what I have. This is what God's blessed me with, all right? And I like these. I like these. Now, in Malachi, it says, if, I, if I'm open-handed and give back, he will give me more than I can contain blessings that I can't even hold on to. But you know what? I really like what I got here. That's safe, and I know what I can afford with that. And so I want you guys to just pour these over my hands now, would you? But, uh, but you know, I really like what I got here. I really like what I got. Ah, ah, ah. Lower, 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 lower. Ah, ah, ah. Okay, so there was all this possible gumballs for me, but you know what? I really liked what I had, and so I kind of held on to these and missed out on a lot of others. So can we, do we have another bucket? So this is how we often live. If we live with this, whoa, this is mine, this is mine, 90% are mine. But God says, I have so many blessings in store for you. If you're just willing to, to be open-handed, now let's pour. Come on, open-handed, baby. Let's go. Whoa, whoa. Yes. All right. See what open-handed does? Some of what I had spilled out of my hands. But, dude, do you see how much I caught this time? All right. Thank you, guys. Grab one if you want to. All right. Silly illustration. But what I want to tell you with this is God promises blessings for those that are generous from the heart. But God cannot give into gripped hands. Have you ever tried to put something in somebody's fist, clenched fist? God wants us to be open-handed with what he's already placed there so that it can be redistributed, but also so that he can place more in its place. I want to ask you this. Have you, have you been around really generous people? Have you ever seen an unhappy, generous person? Have you? I haven't. It's unbelievable. It, we're so deceived into believing that stuff and accumulation will make us happy. But I tell you, part of the blessing of being generous is the satisfaction that God gives in giving us purpose and joy in being generous with what he's already blessed us with. Yesterday, I finished preparing this message and went home and turned on the Olympics. Anybody watch the Olympic coverage yesterday afternoon? Anybody see this story on the little town of Gander, Newfoundland? Okay, if you didn't, you have got to go online and find it. So I'm going home prepare, after preparing a message on generosity. I turn on the TV to watch Germany win more gold medals. <laughs> and on comes, in the middle of all the, the sport coverage, Tom Brokaw with a story just on Canada, un- not sports-related, on a small town of less than 10,000 people in the northeastern corner and on the coast of Newfoundland called Gander. And they started talking to the mayor of Gander, and he referred to September 11th, 2001, and what an unbelievable time that was for Gander, Newfoundland, Canada. And I was like, what is he talking about? This is what happened in Gander. Gander is a main site for air control, for flights that come from Europe to the United States and to North America. And they route these planes because they usually come over Greenland and Canada. So after 9-11 happened, the airspace over the U.S. was completely shut down. And so Gander was responsible, that air control center, for rerouting those planes. Because they had that air control center, they had a large airstrip there. 
that was large enough to have jumbos land there. And so over 100 planes over the next few hours landed on that one airstrip in Gander, Newfoundland. More than doubled the population of Gander within hours just with the passengers that arrived there. And then this whole story was about the city of Gander embracing these 10,000 stranded passengers without any preparation, preparing places to sleep for 10,000 people, food, um, the, 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 the um, hygiene stuff and clothing, the stores in Gander, the drug stores, clothing stores, shoe stores, grocery stores opened up for free for these passengers to come and get what they needed to be taken care of for the three days that they were stranded there. People, strangers would walk into grocery stores, be allowed to take food for free, clothes for free. The clerks would invite them, the, the shopkeepers, to their home to take showers, to, to, to have a meal with a family. And, and the word that was used constantly by these passengers that were interviewed was unbelievable generosity generosity unparalleled to anything they have ever experienced and the relationships that were that started in those few days a lot of these passengers to this day travel back to gander to visit the people that blessed them with such generosity and then in one of the planes on the way back i didn't catch all of this but on one of the planes once after three days they were allowed to leave one of the women and they were so overwhelmed with what she had received on generosity in gander she went around the plane and she saw a need in Gander, which was education for their young people. It was really hard for them to get out of that town and get quality education and be able to afford it. So she went around the plane saying, people, we've got to give back. And she started collecting money. She collected over $15,000 on that plane ride to start a scholarship educational fund for the children of Gander. And then they, they showed some of the kids that, that had been able to go to college as a result of that. See, that is that open-handedness, the generosity that comes from take, take what you need, and then the blessings that came back. Generosity will always breed more generosity. And you know what? Generosity has nothing to do with quantity or amount. There's a tremendous story in the Gospel of Luke in, in, the, in chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Read that sometime this afternoon. Jesus is at the synagogue with his disciples. Synagogue was the local place of worship. And, and there's these people that with, with big fanfare put money in the box and show what they have. And then he says, okay, watch, watch this little lady that's coming up, a, a widow. And she put in what we call a mite. Where do I have it now? Oh, it fell out of my pocket. She put in a mite, which is this little coin. A good friend of mine found this and got it for me. This is an original little coin, printed, or what do you call them? Not printed. These are whatever they're made. <laughs> Sometime between 100 and 73 BC. This is original. This is what she put in the offering that day. And Jesus said to her, you know what? She's given more than anybody because this was all she had. That's generosity. That's putting God first. And you know, this little mite here reminds me, it has nothing to do with quantity, but it has everything to do with heart and with surrender to Jesus. 
So what is generous? You know, we're people, I'm really concrete. I like to know exactly, God, just spell it out for me. What do you want from me? And, you know, just be concrete. But it's about the heart. And so it isn't. So what is generous? What is generous for you? What is generous for me? You know what? That's between you and God. That is between you and God. But God has made one thing already clear. And that is that the minimum is tithing. You see, when, when Jesus raises the standard in the New Testament, he doesn't do away with tithing. And I want to read you a few chapters from, a, not chapters, a couple of paragraphs from a great book that I read this week, Randy Alcorn, The Treasure Principle. This is what he says in here. The tithe, it's God's historical method to get us on the path of giving. In that sense, it can serve as a gateway to the joy of grace giving, he calls it, instead of generous giving. It is unhealthy to view tithing as a place to stop, but it can still be a good place to start. Tithing isn't the ceiling of giving, it's the floor. It's not the finish line of giving, it's just the starting blocks. Tithes can be the training wheels to launch us into the mindset, skills, and habits of generous giving. See, when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, he raised the standard in a lot of areas. He raised the standard on murder. He referred to the Ten Commandments, said, you shall not murder. But then he said, but I tell you, if you just get angry at your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. He talks about adultery. He said, you shall not ad- commit adultery. But I tell you, if you just look lustfully at a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. And, in the, and similarly with tithing. See, in those commands, he didn't say, oh, okay, now you can murder, but you can't get angry. He doesn't say, okay, adultery is okay, just don't lust. In the same way, he isn't saying, okay, you don't tithe anymore, but you give generously. It is still valid. It's the place to start. It's the place to learn to become generous. Rick Warren is a great, great example to me in that. He's the pastor of Saddleback. He, he um, prayed at the inauguration of Obama. You might, might remember that. He, um, he wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life. I read a tweet of his recently. He tweets very actively. And he said, you know, at the beginning of my ministry, he said, I, I knew I would be outpreached by people. I would be outsmarted by people. But I've always committed to not be outgiven, to be as generous as I possibly can. And so when he and his wife got married several decades ago, when they got married, they committed to saying, well, the Bible tells us to tithe, but it also tells us to be generous. So they made the commitment to start with tithing the first year of their marriage. And they made the commitment from that time on to increase it 1% every year. Every year to increase their giving out of their gross income by 1%. And I I don't know exactly how long they've been married, but it's got to be over 20, 25 years. And they've faithfully given, 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 above and beyond out of a commitment to be generous with what God gave to them. And then out of nowhere, God blessed him with this book, The Purpose Driven Life. No, he, he had no idea when he put the final period on that book that that would, book would be sold multiple million times and, and bless him financially beyond reason. But you know what he did with that money? Not a new house, not a new car. The first thing he did was pay back the salary that Saddleback had paid him for over 20 years because he said, if I could have done it for free from the beginning, I would have. See, that's generosity. Now, God will not bless everybody's generosity 
with a great book deal and millions of dollars. But there is a clear connotation in Scripture that if we're faithful with the little that God gives us, and faithful biblically means generous. If we are faithful with little, he will entrust more. So it is very clear throughout the New Testament that God calls us to be generous people with the finances that we have. So let me ask you this. Do you have any idea what the average household giving in North America's evangelical churches like K2 is? 2%. is the average giving in North American evangelical churches. So we have to ask ourselves, why is that? And K2 isn't the exception to that. Why is that? It's either because we, we don't really understand and appreciate God's incredible generosity with us. Because if we really understand and appreciate the generosity and love that he shows to us, how could we not be generous in return? The other option is that, that we don't really care. That's another option that we say, well, okay, but I just can't do that. I don't want to. Or maybe we don't understand the, the principle behind it, the rationale. Why is God asking us to live generous lives? And that's what I want to spend the rest of this message on. I want to look at two main reasons that the New Testament gives us why we should be generous with our resources and with our finances. Let's go back to this Second Corinthians passage here for a second. And let's have a look at verse 10. It says, Now he who supplies the seed, remember he said, if you, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you will reap generously. And then in verse 10, He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and then will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. He supplies the seed. In First Corinth Chronicles, let's go to First Chronicles for a second. In First Chronicles chapter twenty-nine, we read this in verses fourteen through eighteen. David is talking here. But who am I, and who are my people, that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. O Lord, O God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. Let's stop here. One other verse that I love in this context is Psalm 24. One, it says, the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it belongs to him. See, the number one reason why we should be generous, why God expects us to be generous, is because everything you and I have, every cent that we own, every piece of, of material stuff that we have, is His in the first place. And it's Him who gave it to us to be stewards of. In German, we have a, a proverb, that, and I don't know how well that translates, but it says... It's really easy to be generous with someone else's stuff, isn't it? I remember specifically one time my older brother was extremely generous with his friends with all the candy that I had accumulated in my drawer. 
And I came in and said, Daniel, what, what the heck? What are you doing? He said, oh, well, it was yours. It was easy to give away. When, when he had his own stash. It's, it's easy to be generous with someone else's stuff, isn't it? Because our heart isn't attached to it. And I think right here is the heart of our problem with giving, with tithing, let alone with being generous, is that we view our stuff as our stuff and not as his. And that's where it needs to begin. We view our possessions and think, I have worked so hard for that, I have saved for years and I've accumulated and and it's mine to enjoy now. See, that's the... 10%, 90% 10%, 90% white-knuckled, hold-on mentality. I've done my part. I've given. This is mine to enjoy. Because rooted really deeply inside of us is this mine, mine mentality. If you have children, you know. That's the first word they learn. Mine. <laughs> this is mine. Children don't want to share naturally. It's, it's rooted deep inside our being. But as parents, we know better, right? And we tell them, and I tell little Kobe, I say, Kobe, no, you've got to share with Caleb. No, you've got to share, you know. But somehow, in our growing up, we, as, as, as much as we know it's right for our children, we have grown out of that open-handedness, that, that concept of, of sharing and generosity. And the only way that that will permanently change is if we allow Jesus to change us. If we allow Jesus to change our mindset, if we allow Jesus to change the way we think about our stuff. Two weeks ago, we talked about marriage. And I tell you, we can only be the husbands that God calls us to be. You can only be the wife that God calls you to be if you're surrendered to Jesus. We can only be the parents that God wants us to be. We can only build into the next generation the way God wants us to, if we're surrendered to Jesus. And we can only be the givers that God wants us to be. You can only be the giver that God wants you to be if your money is surrendered to Jesus. And your money can only be surrendered to Jesus if your heart is surrendered to Jesus. And it's only possible if we understand that everything we have comes from him in the first place he's given it to us to be his stewards who distribute it on his behalf so that others can know the love of god through how through our generosity through your generosity and it says here in this in this corinthians passage let me go back to it it says that he will supply what we need to bless others let's read again in in verse 8 of um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, not for yourself, but having all that you need so you will abound in every good work. He will provide to you what you need to be generous and be a blessing to others. He gives us to do good work. And I want, to, want you to know that this is how we operate as K2. This is how we operate as a church. When you give to K2, others receive. When you give to K2, others will be blessed. That's why we, we invest in things like Kids Against Hunger. And I, I want to tell you, 
tight financial times are not a time to stop being generous. It's during this economic time where we are strapped as a church that we started to partner with Kids Against Hunger. We've invested almost $20,000 into Kids Against Hunger. We have packed 165,000 meals. 85,000 meals have already gone to Haiti. 9,000 meals have gone to the Dream Center locally, and we're ready to send 71,000 meals to, to Honduras. You give here, it will go out there. You give and others will receive and others will bless. That's this principle that he's talking about. God will provide so that others can receive through you and through us and through K2. And I, I want to be honest with you. I don't want to lie. Things are tight financially for K2. Very tight. So tight that we have had to make major adjustments We've had to let people go. We've had to cut jobs. We've, we've had to take on more responsibilities individually to make this work. And I, I want you to know, by you giving here, you receive. You receive. And we can only be effective and we can only be the hands of God in this community through what you give generously here at K2. That's, that's how we operate. And we, and we need you to know. Now... Hear me first say this. This morning is not about K2's financial need. That is not the priority, but it's, it's part of the whole picture. And come April, we need to have another five to 7,000 weekly in giving to maintain north and south. That's just where things are. And you need to know that. But that is not what this morning is about. I want you to know that this morning is not primarily about your wallet and your checkbook. This morning is about our heart and about obedience to God and to his word. It's a lot easier to be generous with someone else's stuff. What you have is God's. Your stuff is God's stuff. Your money is God's money. My money is God's money in the first place. So let's be generous with it. So the first reason God calls us to be generous is he has supplied it in the first place. He's generously given. So how can we not be generous with it? The second main reason that he gives us here in Corinthians and, and otherwise is that there are promises of great rewards for giving. Let's read again 2 Corinthians 9 verses 6 and then verses um, 10. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And then in the end of, of verse 10, it says, He will supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. There's great rewards promised for generosity. Now, sometimes it seems ennoble, doesn't it, to think, well, that sounds weird. I'm generous and, and because of a reward that's promised. You know, it might sound ignoble, but I'm telling you that God clearly, throughout his encouragements for us to be generous, presents the rewards and the blessings that come in return as a motivation. And so there's nothing wrong with that. But we also need to be clear that those blessings and rewards don't necessarily come in financial rewards in this, in this life. Now, they can but they don't have to. Because being generous, again, is much more an issue of the heart. It's a spiritual issue. And that's what God is concerned with. And that's why the rewards are primarily spiritual in nature, much more than they are material. 
But again, the, the principle is there that God will entrust more to those who are faithful with what they have been given. I want to try and draw this illustration to you, what giving does in this lifetime. Any of you pay into retirement? Anybody has a 401k, Roth IRA? I do. So we do that, right? Why do we pay into that monthly? Why do we give such priority to that? Because we want to enjoy the rewards of that later, right? We want to enjoy the rewards of our lifetime of labor and of putting, faithfully putting money away so that we can enjoy retirement for maybe 20, if you're really lucky, 25, 30 years. We will reap the rewards of that investment of a lifetime. I would like to say that is a great picture of what giving, generous giving does spiritually. I want to call it our spiritual retirement plan. Because the Bible is very clear. And I don't know what, what these rewards look like, but that there will be rewards when we pass on from this life into the next. The generosity we have shown in this life will carry rewards into eternity, into our time that we spend in eternity with God. Again, we don't know what, what those look like. But the Bible is very clear about that. And so here's what I want to challenge you and me with. To measure where is our heart spiritually in giving. What is more important to you in your heart? What has higher priority? Your retirement here or your rewards in heaven? Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, Jesus calls us, don't, don't accumulate treasures, treasures on earth but accumulate treasures in heaven. Part of that is being generous and giving here. What, what has priority in your heart, honestly? The retirement here or the rewards that we will have with Jesus? And I want to throw this out as a measuring rod. And this might be hard to swallow. It was for me. But I want to throw it out there anyway. Where does more of your money go monthly? into your retirement plan or into giving back to God? And the answer to that will tell you a little bit about your priorities possibly. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not saying it is wrong and bad to be wise with your finances and plan for the future, but it's a question of the heart. Where is our heart? What is our heart attached to? Is it the belongings and the comfort here or is it our relationship with God and investing into His kingdom? What do we trust more in? Our plan to accumulate wealth or God's promise to be faithful and bless and provide? I want to ask the band to come up as, as we close here. Close here. I, I know this is a hard message to give and it's, I know it's a hard message to hear. But it's what God tells us in his word. He tells us that he needs to have priority over our earthly belongings. He calls us to be generous so that he can bless us more, so that we can bless others more. Do you know what God describes the people of Israel as in Malachi 3, when he, the passage I read about bringing the tithe to the storehouse? Later on in that passage, he calls the people that don't do that robbers. He says, you rob me of what is rightfully mine. Now, again, it's an Old Testament principle, and I don't want to leave on this, on this guilt note, but, but I want to tell you too, if, if today, if we don't give generously, 
we're still robbing. But you know who you're robbing? You're robbing yourself. You're robbing yourself of the blessings that God wants to pour out that are described in Malachi as blessings too much to contain for you and me. And, and this is the heart of this message. The heart of this message is not how much are you going to give here at K2. The heart of the message is the blessings that we miss out on, that God promises in this life and in the life to come, that we, that you and I will miss out on if we don't put this into practice, if we don't allow God to develop in us a generous heart. It's all about not getting overly attached to money and belongings here and now, but to be focused on God and on our future with Him. So before we go into worship, we will, as a practical application to this morning, we will take up our offering this morning. And I just want to remind you, it's a question of the heart. It's a question of generosity, and that's a question between your heart and God's and nobody else. So I want to ask you guys to come up, and as a, as a sign of our generosity to you this morning, there's one bag that will go through that's empty for you to put your offering in to give back to God as an act of worship and love and trust. And then a second bag will come through with gumballs for you. So please give in the first and take from the second. And if you're visiting here this morning, please don't feel obligated. Um, this is a moment for those that call K2 their home. And this is a moment to be generous with what God has entrusted to you. And I want you to know, I want, more than anything, I want God's goodness and His blessing being poured out over my life. I don't want to miss out on that. What about you?